y'all. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Nafisa from Bibliographic Monologues and the Book Wars. If you haven't listened to the first part, it's over on the blog at clearizefullshelves.com slash the podcast, or you can find it on iTunes by searching Clear Eyes Full Shelves. My, one of my friends, Glazer, she, she talked about the role of the editors where our representation is concerned. And she shared a link which talked about, uh, which uh, had a, are you guys familiar with Garth Nix? Yeah. Okay, so Garth Nix wrote a, a short story which um, I think tackled uh, first uh, the, um, uh, the Australian Aborigines. They, he took one of the stories and tried to retell or it was inspired by it and then his editor actually stopped him and said that you cannot do that because, you know, um, you cannot take their stories because they don't belong to you, right? And so that got me thinking, are, are how, like, how liable are... Or how responsible are the editors and the people who are guiding the author or to, where representation is concerned? And if North American authors or other editors and publishing people are more um, about the bottom line, the, the money that's going to come in than the actual art. But then is, is publishing, is bookmaking art or a business, right? That's, we go yeah. back to that argument. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting that he's like the Australian editor was like, no, <laughs> you don't do that. I I think that's a really interesting question because also when you're asking, you know, is it an art or, an, or a business? You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it is a business. But mm-hmm. the reality is, and it keeps, we're dealing with this with movies too and television, is that those all those mediums, when you are more authentically representational of the world, they actually do better. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, like, that's, there's a sort of myth that, like, you know, movies with women in them don't do well, and movies yeah. with people of color don't do well, and it's totally crap. Like, there's, there's yeah. no data to support those assertions, and yet it's something that people, like, the Fast and Furious, see, you're waiting for me to mention Fast and Furious, I know you were, <laughs> but the Fast and Furious movies doing, like, unbelievably well, and if you look mm-hmm. at their cast, they're, I mean... They're incredibly diverse, and mm. and and the people who are part of those movies not not say that it's not you know in spite of them being diverse, but they really believe that it's because they're diverse. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that anyone can watch one of those movies and see themselves in it, and that's like actually a really big deal. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just like yeah, I, I'm getting all worked up, guys. well no but that's a good point though because i think in the way that some people approach books um like i was saying with the whole thing where people are trying to do you know diverse book goals and things like that where it's almost like for somebody who's more marginalized you know they're looking for something that reflects themselves and then but um, if you're already part of the dominant culture and you see yourself all the time, it's almost like reading a diverse book is a revelation. It's kind of like a, a I fancy feel like, in a way. Yeah, well, I feel like people want you to pat them on the back and give them a cookie. <laughs> kind of. I mean, yeah. honestly, I mean, I feel like it has very little in the sense with trying to make the world better and, you know, improve yeah. the state of publishing. It has a I lot don't know. to do it with just people seems saying. Like they do 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of times they do, they're just like, I read a diverse book today. And then they, like, wait for somebody (laughs) to to applaud them. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I've been seeing that a lot more lately. And and then I see a lot of outrage over people calling diversity a trend. Or I feel like diversity is being called a trend a lot. Um, Yes. And, you know, I looked up the definition of the word trend the other day. And... The way that diversity is being approached by a lot of just bloggers and just readers and things like that in general, like, it fits the definition of the word trend. Mm-hmm. Um, it, which is, like, ex- not, I'm hoping that's not, you know, hopefully it overcomes that. But, like, right now, the way that a lot of people are talking about it on social media and the way that it's kind of popped up in our culture, it. I don't really know how to describe what I'm saying, but like it fits that definition. It's it's like saying by saying trend, they are pointing to its transients and saying that someday it will end and will go back to being, you know, just no representation at all. Or yeah, very, or, or yeah. it'll be that where people where there's some progress and then people are like, oh well, that's enough. Yeah, that's I yeah. mean that's the. I mean, and in a sense, which I mean, of, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. In a sense, it's in a sense like that. The things like the read diverse book challenges and all of those sorts of things, which I think you know that, that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, it should help with sales of those books, and that's a good thing. But those are very much in the you know if we're talking sort of big you know human behavior things. That's very much in the pattern of the way humans follow things that are popular and trendy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if we're going to, like, break things into, like, the sociological, um, <laughs> into the sociological stuff, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, a, it's a sticky thing. I don't know yeah. how to, I don't like, know I'm where I'm glad that things... people are talking yeah. about it, but I also am troubled by the way that some people are talking about it, because it mm-hmm. doesn't really reflect, um how marginalized people feel about it necessarily and those are the people whose voices should matter more i -hmm. guess in this conversation in my opinion no it's you're absolutely right Mm -hmm. like like your guys's voices should matter more than mine in this instance and i'm kind of okay with that and i don't think that make i don't think i should get a cookie for that (laughs) <laughs> I think what's also interesting is um, the, inf- the effect on children who don't usually see themselves uh, reflected in, um, say, um, literature. Because I, I tutor these kids, um, um, oh, and I was asking them, I, because I teach them creative writing, and, I'm, and I notice that their characters are always Caucasian, and I'm like, why don't you write your own, uh, like, what, uh, they're Korean, and I'm like, why don't you have a Korean correct? character and he's like um he i can't because they don't sound right in english so i'm thinking i mean basically what he's saying that he cannot construct a narrative of of a korean person or korean character because the language leaves no space for them and i thought that was so like revealing of what not being not being not seen yourself reflected in fiction or or literature does to kids because it tells them they're other it others them. Yeah. The absence. Yeah. And I thought that was very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I get really concerned about the issue of representation, too, where sometimes I feel like it almost seems like, okay, they'll be like, oh, there's 
a book about a Korean character. So mm-hmm. that's enough. We we mm-hmm. we don't need to do any more for a year. Where the reality is is that like there's a really broad range. Even though Korea is known for being a pretty homogenous country, yeah. there's still a broad range of experiences that people have. Yeah. And, and you know, like I did a podcast with uh, Ray, who is a basketball blogger. Um, mm-hmm. You're on the site, a no look path, but we did a podcast mm-hmm. talking about fresh off the boat. And mm-hmm. we're all Asian, like Ray is Filipino, I am Korean, and then mm-hmm. the other people were, the other three people were Chinese. But that's still, like, we're still all really different. Like, exactly. there's no way, you know, it, like, our all of our experiences um, as, like, second generation people were completely different. Definitely, um, definitely. So it's not enough to just have like this one book from this one ethnicity and be like, oh, okay, so the Asian people got their cookie this year, and so that's enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean because people like they give us um, books about Indians from India, and like I have never been to India, and none of my ancestors, like third generation back i think they were the ones who came from india so we have very different um experiences and diversity with uh diversity in literature we totally look at that and not just a niche to be like yeah this one this represents everyone you know yeah i get that so nafisa can i ask you about um i'm sort of still hung up on this name thing because i think it's so Mm. to me it's like such a basic thing but it's also um it's just, I think it sort of illustrates the issue that we have been talking about, which is the idea of authenticity. And you had mentioned um, another book that's come out, coming out that's been getting a lot of buzz is the, is it Scarlet Undercover? Which, which one was that? Uh, was it like Scarlet Undercover, the Veronica oh, yeah, Mars yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And the issue with um, naming and the main character's name. And I yes. thought that was very interesting. And I, I, again, I think this one none of us have read. Um, so perhaps it's explained in the text. Um, I mm-hmm. did some quick Maybe. scanning and I haven't found anything about it. Um, Maybe it is because, um, as I mentioned, usually Muslim names are Arabic in origin because that's where Islam originated from, right? Right. But I, th- I think names are really important because I, um, and this, 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 uh, um, reflects to what we were talking about earlier, Laura, about not one um, one book is not representative of the whole ethnicity. And this one is, I just read a while ago, it's called The Jumbies by, uh, it's, wait a second, it's a middle grade novel, The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste, and it's actually a Caribbean mythology uh, novel. It's, it's pretty interesting, and I, I actually enjoyed it, but there's this one... Um, Family, which has, which is uh, Root Singh. So Singh, Singh is usually a, a Punjabi name, but mm-hmm. one one of the children of the family is called Fatima, which is an Arab Arabic name, and that name has uh, a weight to it because it was the name of the of Prophet Muhammad's daughter. And usually, um, Punjabi people who they don't like, they would not have that name. So I think it's important. Names are important, and people should consider them. And like, do some research for um, 
when you're naming your characters because mm-hmm. sometimes it gives it gives things away that you wouldn't want it to. But yeah. Yeah, and I it's interesting because I've um I just was scrolling through I was trying to find um uh find if anyone addressed why the girl's name is Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Um and I can't find anything. But I, what I thought was really telling, and I won't say who wrote this because I don't think it's, I don't want to like call anyone out because I think that's mm-hmm. not cool. Um, but the person wrote, lately I've been trying to read more and more diverse books in an attempt to broaden my horizons and my myopic view of the world. And it's like, and that's the thing, it's like, it's interesting in so many of these discussions as in a sense diversity has been sh- treated almost like a trend is that it's very mm-hmm. much become for a lot of people about them and that it's important for them to broaden their horizons. Not, mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, there's something squicky about that dialogue the, where they're doing this reading to make themselves a better person, not because... For any li- it's, like, <laughs> it's like the white people are still managing to make, make a conversation about them. About them. <laughs> by... Being like, oh, reading diverse books is about me, me being, being a better, a better person being. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something about that attitude that rubs me the wrong way, even though I don't think that people mean badly by it. No, I don't. I mean, and I think there is something good to be said of, like, you know, learning more about the world, obviously. It's just right. like, ah, there's something squicky about that. Squicky being the technical term. Um, about... Very scientific, Sarah. I know. About that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but at least, at least, I think if if I was going to be playing the Dumbass Advocate, at least they're making an attempt. But I think it's not just about diversity, it's about who writes the diverse novel. Mm-hmm. Because... Because if you're going to just be reading, say, someone who who has written other books but now is, is has written a book about a person of color, it's, it's not reading diversely because you're not getting different experiences or you're not getting um, a story from someone who has lived the experience or not even that. I would, that's problematic. What I'm saying is it matters who writes a diverse book. That's important as well. Right, mm-hmm. because publishing is dominated by white people. I mean, mm-hmm. that's I mean that's a statement of fact. And mm-hmm. so, if it just if diversifying literature is just simply having more of the same people contribute, that's not really making any changes at all. Right, that's just helping the same people shore up their power in that institution. Exactly, right. and, and then like, um, in some ways, marginalized people still aren't getting represented. Right. It's just other people are co-opting their experiences for their benefit. Right. Exactly. And if if there is a cap on the number of people of color who get published, then if a person who is not the person of color who is writing about that culture does get published, if a white person publishes a book about, say, I don't know, Trinidad, then a Trinidad author who's writing a book about Trinidad won't get published because the story is already out there, right? So there's something wrong with that. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily have a big issue with 
people writing about cultures that are not their own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But it has to be done in a respectful way. And I Mm -hmm. think oftentimes it isn't, but it's still propped up as um, an example of representation and diversity. And that's what I have a problem with. Right. I think there was... We had this lecture in... um, A guest lecturer in one of my uh, master's classes, and he was talking about this... um, it, it, the book won an award. It was about this Haitian. It was written from the perspective of a Haitian boy, and my my professor was like, even though the book is good and it as it was pro- obviously as it won an award, I still think it's um, a gross appropriation of their culture because this person basically took their. Um, he profited off their culture, and I think that's a very slippery topic. Because even though mm-hmm. the book is good and it was respectful and everything, she believed that he should not have written that because he should have given the chance to someone who's, you know, someone who's from the culture, who's also a writer. But then the other, there was this huge, it was really interesting because they were, they were really, really tense and we were like, are they going to come to blows? And if so, can I tape that? You know, it was yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tense class, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, they brought up very interesting points because, okay, for example, if even if they they wait and there is no one who comes up with the same caliber of writing, the same skill of writing, does that make it okay? Or I don't know. I really have no answers. I just think it, yeah. this was necessary. I mean, it's a sticky topic too because some people like. Maybe they don't necessarily want to write about the culture that they're from. Yeah, Maybe right, they want yeah. to write a different story, and they should have the Ooh. freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of time, like, I feel like if I were to write a book, people would look at me and be like, well, you should write about your experience being um, from an immigrant family. And yeah. I'd be like, well, what if I don't want to write about that? What if I want to write, you know, just, I don't know about Marlena being possessed by the devil on Days of Our Lives or something like that. Well, it's kind of like how... Like, what if I don't want to write about that at all? And, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's too easy to pigeonhole people, and I think that is problematic also. Like, the criticism Mindy Kaling gets... See, I can relate a lot to Mindy Kaling, too. Um, For... Because the Mindy Project is effectively a rom-com, and it's not, like, an exploration of identity politics. And people really want her to be writing about this identity politics stuff. But that's not what she wants, she wants to do. That's not what she wants to do. And if you read her book or, you know, anything about her, you know, like, her passion is for comedy. And mm. that's what she loves. And that's the thing. I mean, she dreamed of, like, writing comedies. So it's like they want her to, like, almost there's a feeling that there's, she has some kind of obligation to explore her own personal identity politics, even if it's not in service of what she wants in her own life. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's like kind of an interesting, I mean, I don't have the answers to that. Um, no, me but it's, it's an interesting tension that, um, and you know, and you know, the questions of like, well, does she have a responsibility to represent? Like, cause she also gets in trouble for not representing enough women in the right way and lots of other things. But, um, you know, what do people have the obligation, quote unquote, to 
Yeah. Too, and that's a, I mean, I, I don't think we can answer that for other people, but some folks may yeah. disagree with me on that. I think, I think what is most important is, is respect. Even if you write about other cultures, if you show respect and genuinely want to portray them, you know, do the research, no matter how you are portraying them, I, th- I think that's the most important thing, is respect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a book coming out, I don't remember the name, but I remember reading the synopsis and rolling my eyes. It's about this <laughs> girl. <laughs> it's about this white girl who finds out that she is the um, reincarnation of Kali. And I'm like, oh, I saw that synopsis. Oh. And I was talking to my friend, oh. yeah, she was like, but are there no brown girls left in the world? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what, what, where are we? <laughs> and and uh, yeah, that was, that was very interesting. Yeah. Interesting what being the technical word. I saw that. Did you? <laughs> oh, what was that? No, that was like the most WTF synopsis <laughs> I have read in a while. Like, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just that it was. Uh, I think that came out, it's, uh, I'm not going to find it. Okay, but seriously, right, that one is, that sounds bonkers. The whole story (laughs) is like, like, first of all, if if someone's going to be the reincarnation of Kali, you would think that, like, (laughs) right, exactly, can we at least pick someone from, like, the Indian subcontinent, like, there no. It's like there's a lot of people. No, there's, there's a huge um, shortage of, you know, <laughs> girls. <laughs> that, that's that's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, that one. <laughs> is, yeah, I <laughs> I remember seeing that and doing the same thing. I I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, that sounds really really bad. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> and isn't her name something like Callie? Like, isn't it like a Yes, pun? yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, what? He cannot be serious. Yeah. Maybe it was the name. Maybe it was, it was probably the name. It was, yeah, I mean, I, it was absurd enough that I remember it, and I don't have the great great retention for things that I have no interest in reading. Yeah. See, that's, that's the whole, like, issue I had with, um, you know, the Mara Dyer series. She says that her mother is uh, Indian, and then East, East uh-huh. Indian, and then there's, there's no mention of her culture at all. I'm like, so, what? No, it's like, just like, she just is. It's like this hand wave thing away. It's kind of... It's not reflected in, the, in their daily lives. It's not reflected in... It's not in the, in the text in any way, shape, or form. Like, just... Yeah. Like, it's not reflected, like, in food or in anything. Like, there's literally no, it's just a fact. And that's it. I mean, I didn't finish the series. No, um, me, I, me neither. It seemed like right. maybe there was going to be some weird magic stuff that had, was related to her heritage. I don't know. And I just couldn't dig it. But, um, no, that was very weird. That was, oh. That's not the way. Then, like, if you're going to do that, then why bother? Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's, it's such a treasure trove of things to explore if you're going to go there. Just yeah. go there. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, but the, the Kali one took the cake, though. <laughs> no, I'm sure her name was Kali. <laughs> I'm sure of it. <laughs> it was so 
Have you guys read Sabotage Hair's book? I'm curious about that one, but the hype man, the hype monster just turns me off. Everything. Which one was that? The one, the Ember in the Ashes. Oh, uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't read it either. It's, I think I've been the same level of nervousness as you about the, um, I mean, it's just been hyped for so long. Yeah, it just turns me off. I think also the, the one with the, the Arabian Nights retelling, that one... The, I don't know. The oh, right, it's, I don't, like, it's like called One Thousand Nights or something like that. The, the Wrath of the Dawn. The Wrath oh, of the Dawn. Okay. The one with the, yeah. Is there another Thousand and One Nights retelling coming out? Yes, possibly. There are two or three, I think. Because there was one but, I read the summary for recently that I was like, it was like, I was like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with this. Hmm. There's also an Aladdin one coming out, I believe. That would be interesting. Is that the genie one that's coming out? Is this genie one or the Aladdin one? I think it's Aladdin retelling. I'm really concerned. There's all this sort of weird, like it sounds, there's all these sort of retellings of like Middle Eastern um, stories. And um, right now, and it, and they, Many of them really give me pause. And I think, I mean, I'm obviously not an expert on, you know, Middle Eastern literature, but I did. <laughs> but, like, Middle Eastern women's literature was, like, one of my big subject areas when I was in college because I my degrees in women's and gender studies. And my <laughs> focus was on literature and history. <laughs> and so that was, like, and it happened because of where I went to college. I had a very, very, very large Middle Eastern student population. So as a result, we had... A, a lot of courses related to various subjects in mm-hmm. that part of the world. And so I was really lucky that I got exposed to a lot of really amazing literature and, like, took multiple classes on Middle Eastern women's literature. And mm-hmm. there's just such a rich literary heritage in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. And people from that part of the world have been, you know, writing stories, retelling these traditions in really beautiful ways. I mean, Hanan al-Sheikh has done some incredible work um, mm-hmm. I mean, she is just like she is one of my all-time favorite writers ever. And was that Hanan Al Sheikh? She's Lebanese oh yes, author. yes, yes, yes. She's just a beautiful I, writer. I yes, mean, I have. Mm. And I've met her, and she is like one of those people. You know, some people just have that quality. You're just like mm-hmm. she's just amazing, and mm-hmm. um, and it just really gives me pause. Seeing so, there's this tradition of retelling these stories. And then now it's sort of a, I don't know, it's like a little trend. And it feels like it's like there's no acknowledgement that that's been happening for many, many years, even though a lot of these books are available in translation. Now it's like fresh and new because people in America are doing it. Yes. And it really, again, it's like the thing where it's like, well, maybe we need to be doing a better job of getting these books that exist into the hands of consumers. Yes. And because there's a lot of really wonderful things that already exist. And I don't, I don't know. Mm. No, I don't understand what you're com- where you're coming from. I don't know I've if read- I'm saying that articulately at all. So. You are. Okay. I understood. <laughs> well, it's also been a really long time since I was in college. So it's like I'm drawing on trying to remember, mm-hmm. you know, I wish I could refer, reference, like, well, you should, you know, check out, you know, so-and-so, who, and I just can't remember who a lot of these folks are, even though if I was in our living room where we have, my husband was really, um, his his specialization was turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so random. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's Josh. <laughs> so, I mean, there's also this whole tradition in Turkey of that kind of storytelling as well. And so we have a lot of mm-hmm. good books still in our house. Um, I, I just uh, wrote, I just reread um, Damascus Nights by Rafiq Shami. I don't know how to pronounce it. Shami. And that is brilliant as well. It's, I mean, it is a sort of retelling of um, Arabian Nights, but it, the protagonists are a group of old men who one of them loses their voice and his friends have to tell him stories so that in order to get the voices back. It's really, really amazingly done. And right. It's just people don't know about it. Right, and I think that's the, I, yeah, I think that's the problem, and I don't know, it's like, if it's like an internal, like, publishing house is just choosing to not, like, oh, well, we'll put this little book out, because I know they do do that with marketing departments where they decide, we are not going to promote this book, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. I mean, that happens all the time, and so, it's like, so, the, is there internally in publishing houses, you know, they see these books come across. They're like, well, it's good enough that we have them out there. We're going to assume they're not going to do well. We're not going to do anything to support them. Give me the next Jonathan Franzen books, and we'll put all of our money behind that, even though it would do well on its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I don't understand, because his writing sucks. So. I haven't read one of his books. So. Me I, 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 I read stories about him. I attempted to read the corrections many years ago during the whole Oprah kerfuffle, and it was one of the worst things I have ever read in my (laughs) entire life. And it was, like, before sort of the internet, and we knew we were supposed to hate him, and I was just like, this is the worst thing I've ever read. And I gave it to my husband, and we weren't even married then, and I was like, can you try to read this and tell me what the big deal is? And he tried to, and he read, like, a, I mean, like, maybe a chapter. He was like, what is this? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I remember it so clearly. We were just like, this is horrible. And then when he had his feud with Audubon Society earlier this year, that was the best thing ever. So. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, I, I recently read a Claire Dunkel's memoir, um, Hope and Other Luxuries, which was like, it was crazily like difficult. Well, no, once you started reading it, it went by really quickly, but the themes are really, really heavy. Anyway, she talks about one of the books that she wrote that didn't get any publicity whatsoever. And she sounds really bitter about that because the book meant a lot to her. And that was an interesting um, look into the authors, from the author's point of view, about when their books don't get publicity. It's just weird. If you're going to spend the money to publish it, why wouldn't you promote Support it? it. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. What's what's the logic? Well, I just think like the publishing model is just weird, isn't it? Because it's just like it's like a very few books kind of like pay for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So they like basically like all their money and publicity goes behind these few books that they think will pay for everything else. Even though instead of book, like yeah. trying to like maybe promote these other ones so that they could maybe make money too. But it doesn't make sense because the ones that are big don't even need that much promotion because they're already that big. So they could right. devote some of that some of that money to lesser known books and just the logic it, it just boggles me. Be creative with your advertising. You know, I mean, there's other things you can do. You know, if, because you can also have other books ride the coattails of successful books, and then everyone wins. Yeah. You know, so right. it's like you know, like Penguin, you know, pushes. You know, I mean, and I, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not on the John Green hate train like a lot of people are. Like, I enjoyed <laughs> his books. I went to his thing here in Portland and thought he was delightful. Um, 
and like kids were really excited to see him. So I have no grudge against John Green. But like Penguin spent two years after those Fault in Our Stars was published promoting the Fault in Our Stars, and that's <laughs> fine, I guess. But it's also super <laughs> stupid because it's like a missed opportunity <laughs> to be yeah. like, hey, you all love Fault in Our Stars. Guess what? We have three other books on our list that you may not have heard of that I bet you'll love if you love The Fault in Our Stars. And so it's like they're not doing those kinds of things. And it's just right. to me so bonkers. Why? It's like, or like, you know, uh, St. Martin's Griffin promoting Eleanor and Park for, and Fangirl. I mean, how many different issues of editions of Fangirl have there been for Anyway, yeah. I was starting to get sweary, and I wasn't going to yeah. <laughs> try to behave myself when we have guests. And it's like, well, if you like Fangirl, I bet that St. Martin's Griffin has other books that people who like Fangirl would dig, and then everything can be successful. I mean, it's yeah. just like, I mean, not everything is going to be a bestseller, but you can also give some of these books that are on your list that aren't getting the love that they should, you know, a boost by letting them ride the coattails of these successful books. But that's not the op- way they operate. And it's just yeah. insane to me. This is, like yeah. business, this is like business 101. Like, yes. I mean, honestly, I run my own business. Like, this is like, you don't just, like, assume a section part of your business is going to fail and just run with it. Like, it, it's just not how it works. I mean, yeah. why why would you even publish it if you didn't think it would do well? I mean, it just doesn't to make round sense out me. their list. Like, oh my god! And it's just to me bonkers. It's stupid. The whole publishing model is dumb. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like the thing with to bring it back to our topic, <laughs> at least I'm going to try. Is if <laughs> like, like with books that you know for representation and things like that. It's like I feel like when is the last time you saw a book that is supposedly diverse being compared to one of these like really big ones being like if you like this really big book by this one big author why don't you try this one it's also a diverse book or something like that and they never get that comparison never i mean and i think that's something that hurts them too because they like um like even the publishers that are publishing like the people that are publishing these books don't think that they're like as valid or have the potential or like could even be compared to these other books that are the best sellers on their list. And I find that very problematic. Or even mm-hmm. they don't even make in marketing verbiage. It's like, um, Lamar Giles fake ID that came out last year, which they basically mm-hmm. didn't, I can't remember what her, I think it was a Simon and Schuster book, but I could be wrong. They did basically no publicity for it. Like I no, it wasn't, it was Harper Collins. Um, and, um, they, they did basically no publicity for it. And it's to me, it was also when they were doing the Kickstarter and the Veronica Mars movie came out and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's to me, it's like you have missed such an opportunity because it's, you know, it was a really, it was a good like YA mystery. And it was the sort of book that would have been perfect for Veronica Mars fans. So there was this thing happening that gave them sort of had a captive audience. And, but I guess they thought because the main character was an African American teenage boy and not, like, a perky white girl, like, the audience wouldn't dig that. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, but it's exactly, I mean, he was, he had this sort of, like, fun voice. It, like, it was a really voicey book, just like, you know, Veronica Mars is really voicey. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was, like, some family drama, and there was, like, a really weird mystery. And 
just and he's like real smart and there's like you know a code cracker i mean it's got all that stuff that veronica mars fans but it's like they can't the people make these decisions can't see beyond the pat the fact that the main character is an african-american boy to make the connection that oh well maybe people who like this really popular thing will also like this and mm-hmm. like that's sort of those biases that those folks are bringing that are like I feel like things aren't going to change unless those institutional biases are addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting all mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good to be mad because if you're mad, yeah. you start discussions. Yeah, let's let's help we spark some discourse among other people other than right. just making and I feel like in a sense it's also you know that with these sort of reading challenges and all those things that are you know good things or what have you, but that's being it's being put on the sort of responsibility is being put on the reader, and like mm-hmm. while I think you know okay great you know it's good for readers to be aware like it's but it's also not their fault if books aren't getting published or aren't getting publicized so they don't know about them like it's really dealing with the the entity that has the least amount of control over the process. So, I mean, that's the, that's, it just kind of irks me. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it should, though, because... It's like, where's the, like, senior editor at Penguin who's never, ever bought a book with a main character that wasn't white? You know, yeah. where's the agent who doesn't have anything on her list that isn't anything except for pretty white girls. I mean, these are yeah. I mean, those are the people who are really, you know, can affect change. And I mean, maybe they are, but I imagine there's a whole lot of like agents who are like, oh, I can't sell this. I can't sell this. I don't know who the audience is. That yeah. there's a whole lot of editors who just keep buying books that are the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and you know that's a problem. I mean, no, I definitely agree. I'm, I mean, I mean, I mean it's a problem from the top on down. And, yeah. like, you're right. It's, like, it shouldn't really be... I mean, I think part of it... I mean, readers do need to buy books. Obviously. But at the same time, like, it, it's not fully their response. They're not the initial buyers of books. Because no. the publishers are. Because it's, they're the ones then, who, like, go through the manuscripts right. and, you know, buy them from the authors and stuff. So right. And it's, like, if, you know, if... You know, if Barnes & Noble only wants to buy books with, I mean, because everyone knows they're the root of a lot of the whitewashed part covers, if Barnes & Noble only wants to buy books with, you know, pretty white girls and puffy dresses on the cover, then, yeah. you know, like, that's not, you know, Barnes & Noble is failing. Yeah. And, well, the know, Barnes & Noble thing really drives me crazy that this one so person mad. has so much power, power over things and, like. This one person obviously doesn't care about diversity and representation. No. You know what I and mean? And it's just, to me, it's like, well, you know, at what point is someone going to say to Barnes & Noble, like, hey, this is the cover we're putting out. Yes, it has, you know, an African-American girl on the cover. Yes, deal with it. You know, I mean, that's... Yeah. And it feels like that's not... It's just like, oh, well, we want to make sure it's in the store. But that's not... To me, that's not good enough. And... Yeah. It's just, there's, it feels like there's the institutional changes still aren't being made. And I know we don't hear about the inside nuance of publishing all the time, but I mean, that's where I think things really need to be shifted and it doesn't feel like that's happening. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, I agree. I mean, it'll be illuminating, you know, I haven't been to BEA before, but when Laura and I went to the ALA conference, and Nafisa, you went to when it was in Seattle, right? Like, everyone who worked at those booths pretty much looked the same. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, okay, I used to have to go work at something called Quilt Market, which is a trade show for the mm-hmm. quilting industry. That mm-hmm. was more diverse than ALA was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that says a lot, actually. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should be laughing <laughs> because it's so stupid. So, I I just don't understand why there's so much resistance to um, having a more diverse, you know, workforce. It's not as if um, pe- people of color do not have stuff to offer, you know. Well, I think there is something else: is that you know, working in publishing, you are not going to make very much money. You're going to basically like. You have to effectively have a partner or family that can subsidize the first decade of your career. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you have to live in New York. You're not making any money. It's going to be really hard. And so you look at the privilege that goes with being able to work in publishing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the thing that a lot of people can't swing. And Mm -hmm. if you come from, you know, a socioeconomically disadvantaged background, you know, you may be the smartest, you know, kid in your class at a top university, but you, know, you look at the reality of being like an assistant editor, which is a starting mm-hmm. job at, you know, a New York publishing house, that's a pretty, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow. You mm-hmm. look at like, well, I'd have to wait tables in the evening to be able to do that job. Right. Plus it takes about 10 years to walk up to editor, doesn't it? Right, yeah, like a good pay, you know, a job that pays well. And yeah. That's a, and also a lot of those are jobs you get by doing unpaid internships in publishing, mm-hmm, which again, mm-hmm. like if you don't have, you know, you know, some kind of the privilege of having someone who can support you and doing, you know, a whole summer of unpaid internship in New York, mm-hmm. that's a, you know, I mean, again, these are, I mean, who can afford that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's all these things that are like systemic and yet, you know, it's like, so it's like it's much bigger than telling readers to do a diversity challenge. Mm-hmm. It's and I think the Wayne and Diverse Books folks there. I know they're doing that um, supported internship um, mm-hmm. as a part of there, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, um, and I think that's the kind of thing that'll really make change. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's got to be it's got to be in from the inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. Yeah, I mean, you have to have people in publishing who care about it and who care about authentic, respectful representation. Right. And right now I just don't think that publishing is there yet. And I wish I, there was a book I read fairly recently and for some reason it's not on my Goodreads list where I was like, where was, I didn't finish it. Maybe that's why it's not on my Goodreads list. I was like, <laughs> where was the editor? Like there was just like so much sort of sloppy, you know, of that kind can't remember what it was. It was really bugging me. I can't believe I didn't add it to my Goodreads. Um, but just that, it's just not, it's, it's big, the, the representation issue. And it's bigger than just, you know, X book. I mean, you look at someone like, um, oh gosh, what is her name? Uh, oh, you guys talk. I have to, I'm going to make a point, but I want to actually reference the right person. do you do you think that with the um, with the emergence of self published authors actually being successful, 
there'll be a change in the representation, like diversity, or is it just a pipe dream? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you look at, like, Courtney Milan, who's Asian-American, and she's mm-hmm. a romance author, and she has self-published many, many, many books. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, and she's, and she, um, just published her first, self-published her first novel with an Asian-American lead that was very, very good, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm spacing on the name of it. Um, it even has a little bit of fake boyfriend trope, which you know is like, uh... oh, you know how much I love that. <laughs> Me too. It's so good. It's like, oh, they're pretending to be together, and then of course they actually fall for each other, and it's just perfect. I just love it. <laughs> Wasn't that the Jenny Handbook, the two older boys I've loved before? I think that was a trope that made me like it. Was it? Uh, oh, it was, wasn't it? Yes, and that was a surprise for me because I didn't know that was going to be part of it. But yeah, so uh, I can't remember the name of Courtney Milan's um, her book. Anyway, I quite liked it. I wrote about it on the blog, um, uh, and and she's been sort of slowly, um, basically diversifying her characters. And uh, and she talked. She wrote a blog post about how this was. I think it was on Tumblr actually. About how this was the first Asian American character she written, even though that um, she herself is Asian American, and mm-hmm. it, you know, it's. But she also talked pretty frankly about well, she's she was able to do it because she built this basically like a market for herself, where people want Courtney Milan books. But that's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. is to to build mm-hmm. up a business like that where people will buy your books regardless of, you know, who's on the cover mm-hmm. or who's, you know. So basically, it needs a lot of work. So. It's, it's hard! <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. There's, there's another title coming out, um, Everything, Everything, which seems like it will get a lot of uh, publicity. I've, I've actually read it and quite liked it. It's by Nicola Yoon, and the main character is um, Japanese, half Japanese, half black, so... Oh, I've seen some good things about that. It might have been I, from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually like I did have some complaints, but on the whole, it, it was pretty well done, I feel. It has a really great the, cover. Yeah, and it's just told really nicely with a lot of, like, uh, uh, different kind of varieties of text, like IMs, text messages, and mm-hmm. illustrations. The, Nicole Yoon's husband illustrated it for her, so... Which is so cute. <laughs> that is cute. <laughs> yeah, and so that's that's, and it's going to get a lot of promotion. It seems since they're they have been sending out um, review copies already, which is not even June, and, and the book is coming out in, on September first. I'll keep an eye out for that one at um, BEA. Yes, I would love to compare notes. Yeah, because now you've piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I was talking about, uh, I. I'm sorry I'm, like, beating the, like, Ms. Marvel thing. Um, but uh, Sana Aminat, um, <laughs> you know, she's the Creator? editor of Ms. Marvel. <laughs> and But she just got a huge promotion at Marvel. Um, oh? Huge. She's, like, the direct new director of content and character development. And oh, wow. They want That's her a big to deal. Focus wow. on, it's huge. Um, they want her to focus on reaching new audiences for <laughs> Marvel's, whether it's their comics, their movies, TV, whatever they're doing. Um, so they developed this job for her that's basically them acknowledging that they have not done the best of job of representing the world around them and engaging 
all of the world around them in what they create. And so she's still going to be editing Ms. Marvel and like her sort of her pet projects, but she's also going to be focused on actually making this sort of institutional changes because wow. they have acknowledged that it's actually good for their business. <laughs> Because wow. their titles, oh, that's right. fascinating. And because titles, like there've been all these articles yeah. lately about how like the whole reason Disney bought Marvel was to get more white boys. Basically, right. they wanted the white boy audience. That's why they got Marvel, and that's why they got Star Wars. Right. Um. So it's interesting to me to like hear that now all of a sudden they're just like, oh, well, I think they maybe probably, should do more than that. <laughs> maybe it would help our bottom line. Like their comics, which are still their staple. And saw like, oh well, what's selling? It's the one. It's the comics led by women and the comics led by um, dudes who aren't white. I mean, those yeah. things are doing really, really well for them, and their mm-hmm. old staples aren't as successful as they won't once were because their audience has changed. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, I just thought that was so honestly, smart. <laughs> so, and then so savvy of like acknowledging, like, hey, if we want to continue to thrive then we need to think about our, um, you know, our audience and developing our, you know, the audiences in the future. I mean, it's smart business, right? (laughs) It is. I mean, uh, people have money to spend, so why wouldn't, like, it's not just the um, hegemonic uh, audience that has money to spend. It's the people, a lot of people spend money on entertainment, and you think that, it would be um, people would be would have more goals to reach out to these other potential consumers instead of alienating them. Right. So. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. She's a really. I mean, there's a TED talk from her. Too yes. Yes. That's I watched. Really good to watch. It's really. Is, is it? Is it the one where she says that she got punched the day after? Um, 9-11 happened? Because yes. I think that's the one out. Yeah, yeah, that one was a good one. And she, yeah, I mean, she she's just a really, um, just... Inspiring. She is, and she's really smart, and, mm-hmm. um, really, really believes in, like, making change from within. It's, it's kind of amazing, and, um... I'm, she was on the Larry Wilmore, what is that, the Nightly Show recently, and mm-hmm. was really, really good and um, funny and engaging. And, um, but yeah, she's just, yeah, her focus is on, this is the thing, she's going to be developing content and projects geared towards emerging audiences and evaluating mm-hmm. projects um, with an eye to developing that readership. And then developing, taking those projects and developing them across their divisions, making sure publishing TV, animation, films, and game games all have that vision integrated into them. Like, that's a big deal. And she's young, yes. too. So, that is a really big deal. Yeah. I want a job. But that's really good to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, I mean, as, as mad as I was getting, there are, you know, sort of big, old-school, conservative institutions who are recognizing that there's, that it's not only the right thing to do, but it's also smart business. Mm-hmm. Right. That and the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I, I have yet to watch one of those. 
I know. I know. I dare you to watch all seven and then not cry at the end of the seventh movie. (laughs) Like, I'm not kidding. (laughs) I watch very few um, Western um, TV. I I watch a lot of of (laughs) K-dramas. Yeah. Mostly to keep my language, the the Korean that I've learned from dying out. Oh, right. And then they have really cute guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, they do. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm not writing a book about it. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not inspired to write a a book about it, so. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we should probably um, wrap up. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Any anytime, we know you, you, you. And everyone, you you all should um, check out it's the, the book. Is it bookwars.wordpress.com? Is that your URL? Yes, yes, yes. And your other URL, I know, is not the same as your blog name. It's it's uh, the bookworm, w e w r r m at wordpress dot uh, wordpress dot com. Yeah. So really check those both out. Subscribe, read Nafisa's blog. It's actually better than ours. So uh, no, probably it's just read it and <laughs> learn a lot more. <laughs>